Hello, and welcome to Musings on History. Episode 9.1, Prehistoric Africa. Hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished. When I got that key in Nero, y'all thought it was rented. It's like, I'm just kidding, y'all. Hi, welcome back to Musings on History. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, my name is Dana, and this is Musings on History, where I muse about history. I'm not particularly specific about the time period or the region or the people or anything like that, but I do like to think that I present a historical perspective that's a bit more diverse than what people learn in school. Uh, So I started this podcast in 2019 and I thought that I was done with it uh, when I did my series on the life and work of Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, but I just couldn't stay away. So I'm back with a series on the history of Africa from the prehistoric period to about 1600 CE, which I'm calling ancient Africa, but most historians and archaeologists refer to the classical period, refer to it as the classical period rather, or the pre-colonial period of African history. Now, since Africa is a huge continent, I will be breaking up my topics usually by region, and I'll be categorizing these regions as North Africa, meaning countries and civilizations above the Sahara, East Africa, meaning countries and civilizations beginning around the second cataract of the Nile and extending out into the um, out into the Great Rift Valley and down into the Horn of Africa. Then you got Central Africa, meaning countries and civilizations extending from the Great Rift in the Great Lakes uh, to Lake Chad and then southwards to about Lake Malawi. Then Southern Africa, consisting of the countries and civilizations from around Lake Malawi down to the southern tip of Africa, and then westwards towards the Atlantic and eastwards towards the Indian Ocean. And then West Africa will be everything and everyone south of the Sahara, west of Lake Chad, north of the Congo River, which I'm also classifying the Congo River Basin area as Central Africa. But don't hold me to that because depending on the topic or the civilization or the country, the civilization might fit into one or the other categories. Long story short, don't get too hung up on the north, south, east, west shit. Just focus on the information that's being provided. Chapter one, early human evolution in Africa. So I have to admit, I'm not personally all that interested in early humans, like no shade to them, but I'm mainly interested in homo sapiens and what we got going on. However, if I'm going to do a podcast series on ancient Africa, I kind of have to start with early humans since the prevailing hypothesis is that homo sapiens evolved in Africa in the Great Rift Valley, Great Lakes region to be specific and then spread out to the rest of the world beginning around 70,000 years ago. This is called the out of Africa hypothesis. And while it is the most widely accepted hypothesis, It's not without its detractors who argue that ancient DNA evidence and interim models like leaky replacement theory better explain human evolution. So it's long been understood that modern humans, homo sapiens, 
interbred with Neanderthals and Denisovians in Europe and Asia, respectively. But in Africa, where Homo sapiens is said to have emerged, there's an utter lack of both Neanderthal and Denisovian DNA, meaning those two species of early human had to have emerged independently and concurrently with Homo sapiens in Africa in order for them to exist for the interbreeding to occur. Now, I'm generally okay with these alternative hypotheses if it means that no longer will a genuine discussion about race be shut down by some well-meaning Karen who says something goofy like, well, we're all Africans at the end of the day. So the next time that happens to you, you can just say, no, Karen, not really. Not if you subscribe to the leaky replacement theory. And you are welcome for that advice, by the way. Chapter two, the Bantu migrations. The Bantu migration hypothesis argues that proto-Bantu language-speaking peoples originated in Central Africa and spread out across Sub-Saharan Africa, displacing or absorbing other hunter-gatherer or pastoralist groups that they encountered. The basis for this hypothesis is the linguistic similarities of many of the languages of Sub-Saharan Africa. The migrations of the Bantu peoples is believed to have happened in two main waves, the first beginning around 3,000 years ago and the second occurring about 500 years after the first one, with successive smaller waves happening after that. The first migration went eastward along the borders of the Congo River Basin, and the second went southward and westward into present-day Republic of Congo Brazzaville, Gabon, Cameroon, DRC, Kinshasa, and Angola, basically along the Congo River Basin system out into the Atlantic Ocean. The Bantus reached present-day South Africa around 300 AD, but they did not displace or absorb all of South Africa's pre-Bantu peoples, such as the Khoisan, who are genetically and linguistically distinct from the Bantu even to the present day. Chapter 3, The Three-Age System and Its Limitations. The three-age system is a method of categorizing human prehistory into three main time periods, the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age. It was developed in the 19th century by European archaeologists and historians and antiquarians so that they could order ancient artifacts from Europe in the Near East into chronological time periods. The Danish antiquarian C.J. Thompson initially developed the system between 1816 and 1825 by broadly sequencing artifacts made successively of stone, bronze, and iron. It was then picked up by British ethnologists or race scientists to establish race sequences in British history based on cranial types, which is also known as phrenology. Now, phrenology has been thoroughly debunked, but the three-age system is the way that the general population, the laity, the non-scientific community the hoi polloi, if you will, me, you, and pretty much everybody else that's listening. That's the preeminent framework that we conceptualize prehistory by, especially when discussing a prehistoric chronology for Europe or the Mediterranean world in the Near East. The three-age system structure reflects the cultural and historical background of Mediterranean Europe and the Middle East, and after 1865, it included the subdivisions of the Stone Age into Paleolithic, Mesolithic, and Neolithic periods by John Lubbock, a British banker and scientist. The three-age system does not, however, establish chronological frameworks for sub-Saharan Africa, much of Asia, the Americas, and a couple of areas, and has very little importance in present-day archaeological or anthropological discussion for these regions. 
Now, just because Africa is typically left out of the Bronze Age in particular, that does not mean Sub-Saharan Africans did not practice copper metallurgy, which is the process of heating tin and copper and then mixing them together, and then you pour the liquid metal mixture into the molds to make weapons or jewelry or whatever. So until the late 19th century, most archaeologists, who are usually European, believed that Sub-Saharan Africans skipped bronze metallurgy or developed it at the same time as iron metallurgy, which is the process of taking iron ore and removing the oxygen and other impurities via a two-step heating and reducing process. Now, there is evidence of copper smelting in Nubia during the Old Kingdom period of Egyptian history, circa 26 to 2100 BCE. Other evidence includes furnaces found in present-day Sudan that date back to 2300 to 1900 BC and bronze tools found in the Agadez region of present-day Niger dating back to 2000 BC. Initially, archaeologists claimed that copper metallurgy was not indigenous to these areas and that the tin and the copper, as well as the technology for smelting them, were brought to sub-Saharan Africa by ancient Egyptians. But in Niger, there's no evidence that North Africans brought the practice or the materials there. There's also evidence of copper metallurgy in Mauritania, but below the Sahel, dating copper metallurgy has proven to be a little bit more difficult, with the earliest dates south of the equator being around 345 AD at Navindu Springs near Lumumbashi in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Other sites like Kenshashi Mine in Zambia and Kapushi Mine in the DRC date to between the 5th and 12th centuries and even further south, the Thakadu Mines in Botswana date to between 1480 and 1680 AD, all of which fits into the time frame of this podcast series, which, as I said earlier, starts in prehistory and goes up to around 1600 CE. Iron metallurgy in Africa typically dates between 3000 and 2500 BCE, but there's evidence for a beginning earlier in parts of Nigeria, Cameroon, and Central Africa from as early as 2000 BCE. Some evidence suggests that the Nok culture of Nigeria may have practiced iron smelting from as early as 1000 BCE, and the nearby Jeno culture of the Niger Valley and Mali shows evidence of iron production from around 250 BCE. It's widely believed that the Bantu migrations spread the technology of ironworking to eastern and southern Africa from around 500 to 400, I'm sorry, from around 500 BCE up to 400 CE. In the 19th century, it was believed that iron metallurgy diffused into sub-Saharan Africa via Carthage in present-day Tunisia. I don't understand, like, if you find evidence that they're doing something, why you gotta rush to give somebody else credit for it? Like, oh, the Arabs must have taught them this. Oh, the, the aliens must have done it. Like, just give them their tens, damn, it's not that hard. But with the invention of radiocarbon dating in the late 1950s, Dates had been obtained for iron smelting sites in both Niger and in Central Africa in Rwanda and Burundi. And these dates supported the view that iron smelting was independently invented by Sub-Saharan Africans as far back as 3600 BCE. So not only did Sub-Saharan Africans independently come up with iron smelting techniques and learn iron metallurgy, but they did it before everybody else pretty much. Now these dates were earlier than the known dates of ironworking in Carthage or the Northeast African Kingdom of Baroe, which also weakened the hypothesis that iron smelting had been brought to Sub-Saharan 
Central and West Africa via the Nubians and their successor kingdoms. According to archaeometallurgist Manfred Eggert, how do you get that job, I wonder? Carthage cannot be reliably considered the point of origin for sub-Saharan iron ore reduction. Archaeologists still don't know when ironworking was first practiced in the Nile Valley region. So they didn't even know when ironworking started in the Nile Valley, but they wanted to give the people of the Nile Valley credit for teaching the people in West Africa how to do it when there was tons of evidence and dates for when they started doing it in West Africa. You see how illogical racism is? But long story short, while Sub-Saharan Africa may or may not have practiced copper metallurgy during the period commonly referred to as the Bronze Age, they definitely practiced iron metallurgy and all signs do point to Sub-Saharan Africans developing this technology all by themselves. Next episode, I'll be discussing water in Africa from lakes to river systems and the importance of these freshwater systems for African civilizational development. Join me next time for more Musings on History.